everyone, it's Jeff Anderson. And I am Buck Green. And this is the Modern Combat and Survival Friday Reload, where we give you this Cliff Notes version of just all the tips that you might have missed this week if you weren't paying attention. All in one neat, tidy little podcast. Just the, uh, just the bare facts, basically. So, we're going to go over the blog post we went over today, and then we'll go over some of the things that both Buck and I learned this week that we didn't know last week about survival. So, Buck, why don't you go ahead and get started with the, uh, with the first blog post that we had this week. Well, you know, this one uh, hit close to home because not only do I wear glasses, but I am very, very nearsighted. Without my glasses, I cannot see anything. It's all a blur. It's like that, that episode of The Twilight Zone where Burgess Meredith is finally going to be able to read to his heart's content because the rest of society has been blown up by a neutron bomb or something. And then at the last minute, while he's planning out his years, he drops his glasses and they break and he's totally screwed. Well, that would be me in a in a zombie apocalypse because I can't see anything. Like the Mr. The Mr. Magoo of the Wasteland. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the, the post was called, Do You Wear Glasses? Here are three survival tips to avoid fumbling your way around the wasteland. And uh, what I love about this post is you've got that picture of Arnold from Terminator 3 in it, where he's wearing a pair of star-shaped stripper glasses. And you know something's wrong with your Terminator sequel when Arnold gets his glasses from a gay stripper at the beginning of the, the film. It's I mean, Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's the wrong tone for an action film, is my point. Yeah. Um, anyway, the, the, the tips for uh, glasses, they're, they're all good ones. The first one is uh, gel toothpaste. Gel toothpaste can prevent fogging of your, your glasses. It's not a long-term optometry fixer, but it can make a difference. Um, the other one is take the time to invest in a pair of prescription sports goggles. Uh, you know, basketball players wear these. Was it Kareem Abdul-Jabbar famously made these popular or at least made people aware of them? I, I want to say that not only did he wear them, but uh, in that movie, The Naked Gun, there's a there's a funny sight gag involving that where he plays a pilot who, for the whole movie, denies that he's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And then when he gets sick and delirious, he's suddenly wearing his basketball uniform and his famous sports goggle glasses. <laughs> I think he was the one that kind of made them popular. I mean, that's where I remember them from. That was the first time I saw them. Well, and, and I have thought about that a time or two myself because, you know, the average pair of glasses simply is not that durable. Uh, and when you think about it, your sight, you get uh, something like 70 or 80% of your input, your sensory input visually. Yeah. So if you could have a pair of, yeah, they might not look like the most flattering things in the world, but if you can strap them to your head, be able to see, and they're less likely to break, it's a good idea. Some of them, I think, can even be had that are rated as uh, protective eyewear. So almost like wraparound gargoyle sunglasses, they're actually better for protecting your eyes or using for shooting glasses, which is another thing. I know a lot of shooters who just wear their ordinary prescription glasses to the range, and they're like, well, I'm wearing glasses, so it's cool. But no, it's not cool. If you're shooting, you ought to be wearing protective glasses over your prescription glasses, because I guarantee that if something hits those regular glasses, they're going to come apart and end up in your eyes. Mm. So as a lifelong glasses wearer, that's something that's always been I've always been passionate about that, the idea that, well, I'm shooting, but I'm wearing my prescription glasses, so I have my eye pro on. No, no, you do not. Yeah. Um, and finally, the, the last suggestion was, you know, you might want to consider LASIK eye surgery. Um, a lot of people get freaked out at the idea of, of having people mucking around with their eyes. Um, it's true that not everyone is a candidate for the eye surgery, and especially a few years ago, you used to hear a lot of uh, 
horror stories about, you know, I got, I got LASIK eye surgery to correct my vision and, uh, uh, you know, I, I have dry eyes now and it's horrible and my life sucks and I wish I'd never done it. But the surgery gets better and better every year. The technology advances every year and more people than ever are candidates for the eye surgery. We had a link in that blog post to uh, 10 minute eye exercises. There have been similar programs on the market before and a few years ago, there was some infomercial where they used to sell aesthetic glasses that um, it was like miracle glasses. Put these on and suddenly you can see. And they work on the pinhole principle, which is that when you squint, you're doing the same thing as if you put on a pair of glasses that just have a pinhole in them. You're shoving the light further back into your eye against your retina so that you can actually see more easily. When you're nearsighted, your eye is elongated. So when you look through a pinhole, you're forcing the light to travel further back in your eye. And that's why when you squint or look through something small, a small aperture, you can see better. Um, well, these 10-minute eye exercises that you link to, this is nothing to do with that. It's not a gimmick. These are actual exercises that you could attempt to try and uh, make your eyes stronger. It, it sounds a little goofy, but it's really worth at least taking a look at. I well, well, and I, I wrote this post because, um, because one, when I, when I was in combat, it was like such a pain in the ass to try and, like, you're, you're fire, fire my rifle, but I had to keep like, like I wish I had those Elton John glasses with the little wiper blades on them or something, because my my glass my glasses kept fogging up. I remember the first time that that I was actually in a firefight, and it was just really really um, really disconcerting. So that was a problem. And then somebody told me about the gel toothpaste, and I tried that, and that and that worked out well. But then I think a lot of people don't think about you know they think about medically they they might think about the medicines that they want to have on hand and store away and things like that. But people that are glasses wearers, like if there is no access to an optometrist, you know, you really can be screwed. People that are really relying on their glasses that can't see without them. I mean, just imagine fumbling around and that, and that fight, that link that I put in there over to the uh, 10 minute exercises was, um, was just a, um, a friend of mine who's actually listed in that, in that website because, um, he's a, he's a competition shooter. He's a, a lifelong survivalist. He, I mean, he's the real deal. And he's the one that turned me on to that because he's actually corrected his vision. I think he said that, um, I think it's even in the website, um, over there, but he said that for the first time he was able to, you know, pass his, um, you know, his driver's driving exam without using prescription glasses for the thing. He was able to just do it with his eyes. So he swears by those exercises. And I, and I have, I wear glasses and I've been considering surgery, but I, you know, I'm probably like most people, like I want them to get all the kinks worked out. So I never have to worry about, yeah, he was the one that got blinded, you know? So, yeah. well, that, that's the thing about the eye surgery technology. The longer you wait, the better it gets. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The, uh, I, go ahead. What's that? I was going to say, I carry uh, my old pair of glasses. Every time I get new glasses, I put the old pair in my car. So that if I'm ever out somewhere, especially on a long trip, and I break my glasses or I lose them or something, mm -hmm. I actually have a means to see so I can get home. I mean, yes, it'll give you a headache, but it's a lot better than not being able to see anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, on Tuesday, we published our, our podcast for the week, and it was my interview with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy on Bug Out Medicine. And, and uh, like, if you've never, if you've never um, met Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, definitely look them up and see when they're in your area for like a survival expo or when they've got training going on or just touch base with them on their blog because they're just, they're, they're kind of, they're icons in the survival industry and in the self-reliance industry. And, 
and they're they're the real deal. Like I I love these guys, and and Amy's energy is just it's infectious. She's just really really cool. Uh, that was a little pun there, right? Infectious and uh, doom. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, but um, anyway, she. Um, right, now, now we can add to the fact that you love Kim Jong Il in <laughs> North Korea. The fact that you think Doctor Bones and Nurse Amy will infect you all. <laughs> yeah, no, they uh, they are really are great, and I and I love talking with them. And we've we've done a few inter- interviews with them before, and um, and this was just a lot of fun. But they, you'll you'll get a lot of good information specific to bugging out in this. Um, in this podcast, we talk about different things about when you're like um, things to take care of on your on on your, like you're taking care of your feet. A lot of things that people don't think about because they're not it's not as sexy. But they talk a lot about um, you know how to prevent foodborne illnesses, purifying water, things like that. That um, I know that I've suffered from from that stuff and being in the military and in the infantry, you know, walking long hours. Um, you know, walking all day, five days a week. You know, doing a hundred mile road marches with a with a backpack um, will tear up your feet. I mean, people just like have hamburger feet. You really got to take care of your feet. And they talk about some of the things that you can do for that. And then um, when I was in Honduras, I remember I was stupid enough to drink some of the local water when I was invited to one of the um, the Honduran army um, posts. We were doing some training with the troops out there. And I got dysentery. And I'll tell you, that was like, that was a hell for like four days. It was just pure hell. So uh, so they give some really good tips in there and how you can avoid those kinds of things because you definitely don't want to be, you know, on your back when you're trying to get to, you know, to a safe safe point, point B. So anyway, check out that podcast. There's some really good stuff in there. Um, yeah, we, we, we all want like the super cool survival knife or the super cool piece of gear and and it never occurs to us that like none of that's very helpful if you're bent over releasing from both ends because you ate the wrong thing or yeah you know you got an infection of some kind that to be honest that kind of thing terrifies me because none of us realize just how vulnerable we are until there is a way to go to urgent care yeah yeah and and the thing is that in a disaster environment it's you're so susceptible there's so many different there's so much bacteria and microbes, and molds. I mean, there's just all. It's just a big cesspool, and so, um, and and quite literally, especially if it's like a flooding or something like that, and all the sewers back up. It's there's just so much, so much stuff that can make you sick out there. So you got to play it extra careful. And um, okay, in keeping with the medical theme, yeah. Uh, another other great post this week was uh, it's called "I was blown away at all the survival uses." for this medical miracle from Mother Nature. Say that five times fast. Uh, but specifically, the medical miracle that the post refers to is honey, of all things. Um, honey has a, a long shelf life. They've actually retrieved honey that you could eat from ancient Egyptian tombs. Um, I, I'm not sure I would be eager to try it just because it's probably cursed or something. But the fact is that uh, honey can kill bacteria and prevent infection. You could spread honey on a wound before bandaging it just to seal it off from outside contaminants and debris. Uh, honey actually produces a small amount of hydrogen peroxide that can help kill off bacteria, which is something I didn't know. It's mildly acidic, which helps to prevent bacteria from causing infection. Uh, honey helps speed up healing. Uh, it has been shown to speed up the growth of body tissue by aiding in the formation of new blood vessels. Um, external application of honey can be used as a treatment 
with the sulfur sulfadiazine as uh, healing wounds and burns. Um, honey is uh, something you could take, I, I hesitate to use the term, in a prophylactic sense uh, so that you can uh, just improve your body over time. Uh, there are athletes who, who take honey and, and stuff like that to help improve their performance. Yeah, let's just, of honey. let's just clarify that honey is not a prophylactic. <laughs> uh, uh, so don't, uh, don't worry, honey, I have honey. <laughs> I got out the little bear and everything went horribly wrong from there. Um, some varieties of honey actually have uh, friendly probiotic bacteria in them. Um, th there's a lot of medical stuff that I don't entirely understand, but basically honey can help uh, uh, protect cells from free radical damage and boost your immune system. Now, that's not to say that, well, I, I took the honey, so I don't need the antibiotics that the doctor prescribed to me. But it's one of those things that when you supplement Western medical knowledge with these little, you know, pieces of, call it medical lore, uh, I think you're doing yourself a favor. And let's face it, honey is very inoffensive. It, it, most people like it. There's there's very little about it that is bad. It's not like disgusting in any way. Um, uh, I haven't made a habit of eating a lot of it, but, uh, you know, it's something that's useful to have around and it will last forever if you do bother to buy some. Yeah. And it's, um, I was hoping to, I'm hoping that, uh, we get some really good comments in here about people that know how to find wild honey. Cause I was looking some stuff up online about it and it's not that easy. Uh, the be the best technique that I found, cause I, I, I was thinking I kind of left this out of the blog post, but, um, in, in how to find it, but the best Best technique I've found, apparently you can't just wander around and like find honey, honey hives. But, um, somebody said if you put honey out and then you, you, like bees are, the honeybees are attracted to the honey, then what you do is you kind of, you catch them into a small net or something that you can contain them in as many as you want. And, and apparently honeybees are like homing pigeons. So they're, they're always going to go back to their hives. So, you let one out and it kind of circles around, but you, you follow the bee. Um, he's not going to try and like get you off his tail. He's going to go back to the hive. So you let one bee out and you follow that bee as far as you can. And then, uh, when you don't see them anymore, you let the other one out, you know, let one more out and then follow that. And then like eventually it will, they will lead you back to where their honey hive is. And then you got, you know, then there's lots of stuff online you can find about how to, Use smoke to get the honey bees out of there and then get to the honey and stuff like that. Because, um, you know, if you don't have, if you don't have medicine, if you don't have antibiotics, you don't have things like that. I mean, it's not like it's going to be like penicillin, but, you know, you can only do what you can do with what you've got out there. So, um, anyway. Well, a lot of people don't realize that, um, bees, in some cases, honey bees are protected. You can't just slaughter them willy nilly because there's been a lot in the news about how honey bees are dying off and yeah. they're not really sure why and the whole ecosystem is going to collapse when the honeybees die, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, an in-law of mine recently found they have an extensive colony of honeybees living in the wall of their home, which is an old house yeah. uh, that was erected. You know, it's got, the house is so old, it's got one of those signs that says, hey, this is a really old house. <laughs> and uh, the, the bees are, they are extensive. You can't just push the bees out because they'll want to come back. And once you get the bees out, you have to remove the honeycombs, which are sitting there and they're very heavy inside the walls of the house. So if you discover that you have honeybees in your house, it's actually better to find out that you have wasps because let's face it, wasps are mean as fuck and deserve to die. 
But honeybees are good and should be protected if at all possible. So contact your local beekeepers association. You have one. You just don't know it. And uh, mm-hmm. see if you can't get somebody who can transplant that hive. There are times it can be very expensive. They have to find the queen and move it. and It can be an all-day affair to oh, get yeah. a hive out of your house. And you might have to open up some walls uh, yeah. in order to get those honeycombs out of there, depending on how big the colony is. But, you know, you can't afford to leave them be. They will destroy your house. <laughs> leave them be. I made a joke. Uh, <laughs> but but it, it's a, it's very important that you deal with the problem if you have it, but also deal with it in a way that transplants that colony somewhere else in the care of a professional beekeeper. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And the, uh, the final post that we have this week is uh, how to make an improvised gas mask in a riot. And. You know, this is uh this is kind of a, a a common hack you find around the around the internet about how to do this. And and where it began was really like with the, the riots between, you know, in, in Israel and Palestine because there was I mean, there's just tear gas all over the place all the time. And so it was like how what do you do in order to, you know, other than carry a gas mask around with you to try and, you know, not be exposed to that. Well, you know, the, the the obvious first answer is don't be near riots where they're throwing tear gas around. But, you know, I can tell you from when you know, I was in the in, in the military, you know, that's the wind can take that and bring it down. You know, if you're downwind from where that's being used, if you're in an urban area, it can it can um it doesn't dissipate all that well. So you definitely get the effects of it. Um, and, and, and it can kind of disorient you. Um, if you have children, it can be very. Uh, you know, it can cause if there's like a um, well, obviously, we always talk about you can get just get caught up in a riot like, you know, flash mobs can happen. Or if there's all of a sudden like you're you're in a resupply point or something like that. And people that are desperate are and and panicked and, you know, haven't slept in forever, haven't eaten in forever. They're disgruntled like a riot. A flash riot can can turn up at any point in a in a disaster or collapse just when people get get really, uh, you know, like Ferguson, Missouri was a good example. You know, it's like, you know, it's it, peaceful protests sometimes can can um, just turn into a flash riot and then expand from there. What happens is people just they get on this this um, this adrenaline high and just start sweeping through a city or even suburbs. And and then all of a sudden you've got police and riot gear and tear gas being thrown all over the place. So. So the technique that we talk about in this one, and, I, and I've used a couple of different uh, versions that are out there to kind of test things. Like there's one where you use a, a soda bottle and you kind of create a screen around it and and put it on your face. And what I found was that that fogged up really, like really hard. And uh, so I, that one didn't work very well. The one that I've seen that that we wrote about was basically using a pair of swim goggles and keeping these in a like I guess you could call it your you know, like our we call it our scram bag you know your your escape and evasion bag, but having a pair of swim goggles that you can put around your eyes because one of the avenues that that tear gas hits you is through the eyes and it, it creates you know you can't keep your eyes open it stings like crazy um, you know I had I had to go through the gas chamber in the military so I know I know what this stuff is like and basically you know your ears your eyes tear up you can't keep them open they sting like crazy you've got 3 foot snot coming out of your nose you know and some people it'll it'll cause vomiting so the thing that um to me is the is the you that you want to protect the most is going to be your eyes because if you the first thing you want to do is escape out of the area where um where the tear gas is and you know away from the panic mobs because you're in 
you're threatened by being run over by people who are panicking and aren't prepared for the tear gas. So you've got to get to safety as quickly as possible. Your eyes are going to be the most important thing. So keep a pair of those swim goggles that you can put right around your eyes to kind of keep the uh, keep the gas from getting to your eyes there. And then as far as breathing it in, uh, we talk about keeping a plastic Ziploc bag with a bandana inside of it and a small like um like a squeeze tube you can get these really like they're almost like um like eyedropper type uh um bottles and put some cider vinegar inside of that and just if if tear gas is out there put the goggles on take the um take the bottle of cider vinegar out you have got the bandana in the ziploc bag spray it into the into the bandana to put around your nose and your mouth and the the vinegar um, somewhat neutralizes the the tear gas. Now, this is not the same as having a gas mask, but again, you can only do what you can do with what you have available. And so, and other people have talked about using lemon juice that it tends to work better. The problem with lemon juice is that it's not like it really, like it sticks or like it, it can go bad. Um, I know that they make lemon juice in those little lemon containers at the at the grocery store. And I don't know, I mean, because it's not, um, you know, I don't know how how well that would work. I don't know if it's if it's somehow um, what's since it you know it's a, it's a fruit, so and fruits go bad. So I don't know what they do to that lemon juice. It's I don't even know if it is actually lemon juice for you know, but I don't know how well that would work. So I can't vouch for that. But cider vinegar lasts you know forever, so you can just keep that in a tube and just and just have it handy. But again, the the best way to get out, away from it is to get away from it. So we talk about get up wind. Get to high ground. Um, fortunately, tear gas tends to stay very low to the ground, especially if you can see it. If they're using tear gas, um, uh, like not grenades, but if they're using tear gas, yeah, like hand like hand grenades, basically. Um, typically, they'll come out of like their tear gas cannon if it's some like a riot control type of a thing. But if you if you got that, you'll see it come in. Just find you can quickly see where the gas is going to, and you just have to run to get upstream of that. And that's the best way to get out of it. But most people will tend to run, just run away and uh, don't really think about where they're going. So, um, so anyway, that's the tips on how to, to make an improvised gas mask and hopefully you never have to use it. So now we come to the part of our show where is, what do you know? So this is where we are basically Buck and I are just survival junkies. And so it's uh we go out there and we're just we're constantly looking for new tips that we are you know didn't know last week. So what do we know this week that we didn't know last week? And uh Buck, what what's uh what what do you know this week that you don't know last week that everybody can get a can get something out of? Well, I actually learned something surprising. Um I my brother married into a farm family and I spent a lot of time out there on that farm. It's a source of comfort to me because as you can imagine, having access to that type of property gives you one potential bug out location in an emergency. You've got some place that's not urban that may not be in the zone of the emergency where you have plentiful resources in case it's a long-term scenario. Um, so it's uh, it's always been, I always feel very advantaged to be able to go out there. Well, when you have a lot of farm property, one of the things I guarantee you have on your property is an ATV. And uh, I've never been a big four-wheeler, but uh, I'm starting to become one simply because now I have access to one, and they're fun. 
But I was doing some uh, reading. I was looking for something unrelated to that, actually, trying to find an accessory so that my brother can mount his rifle right on his uh, ATV for when he's got... There's always these livestock issues that come up. Like, you would be surprised on a farm the number of times you're like, I need to drive over there and kill that thing. (laughs) You know, it it happens. And uh, what I found out was ATV tires are designed for off-road traction. They're big, soft, and knobby. When you drive on the pavement, when you actually go off-road or off-off-road onto the road, the your tires can stick in unpredictable ways, grab the pavement, and actually flip the ATV right over. Um, and that I found a little alarming because it was something I, I didn't know. And I've driven on the road with the ATV to get from point A to point B on the property because there's a road that runs right alongside it. And you're like, oh, well, this is easy and fast. I'll just take the pavement. Um, you know, you're not, it's not road legal. You, you stick to the shoulder, but it's still one of those things that it never even occurred to me that when you're on pavement with an ATV, whether it's a three wheeler or a four wheeler or whatever, you're actually running the risk of flipping yourself over without even knowing. It. So that was, that was eye opening to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, um, so here's, here's my tip this week. Uh, I was talking with Rich Nance, who is one of the instructors in our network and Rich, uh, Rich has a, a really, really good combative system that he developed um, at Wartac. It's W-A-R-T-A-C dot com, and uh, it's his own. It's his own system, pretty much. I mean, what I like about Rich and, and Dave Halford, which is his co-creator of the system and everything, is that um, Rich is the kind of guy who just takes every like he never takes it for granted that what he's learning is will actually work in a real fight or in combat or anything like that. And, and Rich is a um, longtime SWAT member. He He's not on the SWAT force anymore, but because he's doing a lot of film work for um, personal defense. Uh, well, he does it for Guns and Ammo, uh, Sportsman Channel. He's hosting a lot of tactical firearm shows and stuff like that. And uh, so, we, so we're going to be interviewing Rich on the home defense car, carbine. Uh, which is a really cool topic we've been trying to find somebody for um for a long time and he actually has a DVD on a topic so we're going to we're going to get together and interview him but we were talking just candidly about the need for noise discipline when inside of your house and if you've ever been inside of your house like really late at night you know that the like noise travels quite a bit and so if you have an intruder in the house or you find that you have to go and and clear your home or get to safety or you know if you need to go investigate a sound, um, the door, like my my bedroom door, creaks a lot, and so just opening up your door can let somebody know that okay, I'm not, you know, if you, if you're an intruder, it's like okay, now somebody's, you know, somebody's coming out, and they can hunker down because that's the worst thing is like if you're the one walking around, you're the one making the noise, and if an intruder knows that you're coming, if they know that they're not, they're no longer alone then all they have to do is kind of hunker down behind the couch or wherever they're at and you don't know where they're at and you just walk into an ambush. It's so easy. You know, you're not making any noise when you're sitting there behind a couch, but the person that's walking around is making a lot of noise. So we talk about the need for noise discipline just when, when, when it comes to home defense. And that very first barrier is typically your bedroom door. And so the, the tip that I found, um, Interesting. I got it, actually got it off of our Facebook page was to lift up on a door with creaky hinges. Like if you pull up on it and open it, that it doesn't creak. And I tested that this morning because no matter how many times I oil this damn door, like within four or five days, it's creaking again, my, my, our, my bedroom door. And I always wake my wife up when I get up at 4.30 in the morning. So 
So I tried it this time, and sure enough, it 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 didn't creak. So you just pull up on the handle, and um and and close or open the door, and magically there's there's no creaking there. So anyway, the importance of noise discipline, and one little home defense hack for not giving away that you're walking, you're tiptoeing out there with your with your Remington 870 ready to do business. So also useful for sneaking in at night. <laughs> I, I mean, I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My kid doesn't know that. Uh, <laughs> anyway. All right. So uh, so that's what happened this week. And um, we've got a lot coming up uh, next week. Uh, check out the uh, the blog post. We've got another great podcast coming up. And definitely please give us a, a good rating on our blog. I'm sorry, on our podcast. You can now uh, subscribe to it in iTunes, so it automatically updates on, on your computer and it'll automatically download everything. You can load it right up into your MP3. And um, anyway, we're looking for some really good comments. Really good. You know, Go ahead and leave us a comment in iTunes. Give us a good rating. Help us bring that this podcast up into the, into the ratings. Get listed out there. And um, anyway, so until next week, this is Jeff Anderson. This is Buck Green. Saying train hard. Stay safe. Prepare now. Thanks, everyone. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.